With threats to our nation waiting around every corner, adaptability is more important than ever. When conditions change without notice, quick strategic thinking is crucial. And with obstacles consistently impending, determination is essential in overcoming them. It's this willingness, decisiveness, and resilience that sets Marines apart. With our fighting spirit, we don't just fight battles, we win them. Marines are the constant our nation counts on to fight the unknown. And through adaptable problem solving, we do just that. Learn more at Marines.com. Welcome to AEW Unrestricted, the official podcast of All Elite Wrestling. This is referee and podcast host Aubrey Edwards here with commentator and podcast host Tony Schiavone. How you doing, Tony? Hey, Aubrey. What's up, girl? What's up? Hey, boy. Hey, uh, good to be talking to you. Good to be here with you once again this week. We have a lot of fun. We've talked to a variety of different people. Uh, that are involved with our AEW business, so it's great uh, connecting with you once again. Oh, yeah. Who else we got here today talking with us? We got our buddy Matt Seidel here with us. Hey, Matt. Hey, guys. Hell, yeah. I'm so excited for this one. Uh, Matt has a long and uh, luxurious list of accomplishments, championships, and wrestling, which Aubrey Edwards will read down right now. I always hit her with that, but go oh. ahead, Aubrey. Okay. Yeah, why don't you just read from my Wikipedia page? It makes for a great interview. We could just does. just just read it off. I mean, it's the audio version of the Wikipedia. It really is. It saves you a click. <laughs> See, Dragon Gate opened the Brave Gate champion, two-time NWA Midwest X Division champion, IWA Mid-South light heavyweight champion, OVW heavyweight champion, ROH World Tag Team champion, WWE Tag Team champion with Kofi Kingston. Uh, you want a Slammy, probably your best crowning achievement. Uh, IWGP Junior Heavyweight Tag Team Champion, Never Open Weight Six Man Tag Team Champion, Impact Grand Champion, Impact X Division Champion, and 2008 Wrestling Observer Newsletter's Best Flying Wrestler. I'd agree with that. Good stuff. Any of those uh, resonate with you there, Matt? Besides the slamming? Oh, wow. I mean, you just, you, you, we go all over the world with those accomplishments. It's pretty awesome uh, hearing it back. Yeah, I really don't measure my career by like championships one or these kind of moments. However, that first slammy was everything to me because watching Owen Hart, like, and what he did with his slammies was just a huge part of my love of pro wrestling so taking that slammy home which i actually didn't do i never even got the slammy oh that's like bullshit hey you know the props oh. a prop <laughs> oh. so yeah i never got the slammy i would at least like figure out where they made them and get a replica made like yeah or you could go to the merch booth and buy one like, <laughs> you know, for me, it, like, it was nice to get that accomplishment, but like really being able to do the shooting star in WWE was a huge feat because when I began there, it was a banned move. It was on this list of things. Do not try. It was against the rules. And um, I was able to not only break the rules and start doing the shooting star press, I was able to turn that into like finisher of the year or whatever move of the year. And want to slam me? Yeah. So that was like, that was really cool. I felt really like, like I was onto something right there. Yeah, damn. Uh, especially with all of these flips and stuff. I We have to talk about Snoop's frog splash because <laughs> I, I remember like before the show, we're all sitting around. I'm like, what the hell are they doing? And they're, they pull out the mat, lay down Serpentico. And all of a sudden Snoop's just jumping off the top rope. Like, did you give him any advice on how to do it? Yes, my advice was very explicit. 
wear knee pads. Yes. That's that's <laughs> the, that was my main advice, but I don't think he I don't think he did. I I don't believe he did. Um I think he just went freestyle. He just wanted to do the Superfly Snooker that he remembered from the garden and he <laughs> got to hit a Snoop splash and it was awesome. It was a true like it was a a beautiful television moment for me. I'm really really proud to be there and to watch him go off. I mean, there was that moment of you get to the top rope and you you look down and you realize how high it's going to be when you stand up. And I'll tell you what, Snoop Dogg has a lot of courage and he's a special guy. He stood all the way up and launched himself and did the best splash he could. There you go. Oh. Do oh. the best you can. Yeah, me and Snoop, we get high. <laughs> right, there you go. <laughs> Fly high. Fly, not get. I, I, think that, I think that's the highest Snoop's ever been. I, that's a direct quote from him. <laughs> Got you. You also had a great match with Cody. Uh, and I want to talk about that because you guys really told a great story in that match. Thank you. What what was the sto- what, what story did you tell in that match? <laughs> Let's see. Um, you're right, Jr. You're right, Excalibur. I think is what I said. <laughs> that's what you say every time, Tony. I think that's what I got uh. out. I'm, and you're right, Jericho. I think I got those out too. I'm not sure. Yeah, it's it's great. Like I think my story with Cody is like definitely not at the end. It's an ongoing thing. Right. I really feel like we are like. There's like, a, I don't, I'll always end up getting to some kind of weird Zen take on things, but he, he and I are really like a yin and a yang. But the point is the yin and the yang are like the same thing. They're part of the whole. And so like when we collide in the ring, it's like somebody who was raised in the business to somebody who was a backyard wrestler. And then we sort of cross paths at OVW, but not for long enough where we were able to like work together or work against each other. So right now we're both coming into our own, having our best matches. I think this TNT championship is bringing out the best in a lot of guys. I think it brought out the best in Darby Allen. And mm-hmm. I think, I, I think this is where I need to narrow my focus. Like that championship has a lot of meaning and prestige to it. And it is absolutely one of the main reasons I'm in AEW right now. So would you say that's one of your goals moving forward? Yeah, absolutely. That's not a New Year's resolution. That's part of like like what I've been meditating on and thinking on and like thinking what it would feel like to be the champion, what it would feel like to have that responsibility, what it would feel like to be a champion in AEW. And um, so I focus on what it would feel like, and then I'm just going to do the work and get myself there. And the only problem is guys like Cody are already doing the work extremely hard. And so it's um, it's a new environment for me. And so I'm really acclimating myself, but I have no doubt in my ability to become that TNT champion. Matt, your uh, coming into AEW was uh, was a kind of a surprise. I think you were like the the Joker in the Casino Battle Royale All Out 2020, and was that kind of a last minute thing to bring you in, if I recall correctly? Uh, yes, that was absolutely a last minute thing. I think I got the call on. Friday and the paper was Saturday. Right. Yeah. However, it worked. I, 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 there was, it was relatively short notice and it sounded like a great opportunity and a good way right. to get the ball rolling. And, um, you know, we got our foot in the door right there. And sure. That, that led to some more work. I wrestled Eddie Kingston on uh, dynamite, Sean Spears on that late night dark. So I've, uh, I've had my hands full since I start since the all out battle Royal. Right. And how long was it after the battle Royal where you got officially signed? It wasn't too long after that, right? It was a little while, but I mean, we were, I, I'm old school enough to be on a handshake and a, a, you know, Hey, see you next week kind of thing. Sure. But it, it was really nice. I think it was like, it was literally like 11, 11 of 2019 when I got the paperwork and we just, you know, we were able to work out a, a deal. And I mean, I am, since I started in pro wrestling, 
like I was never a guy who was goal was to be in the WWE. I always wanted to be a part of a startup. I we we when I started at GCW Gateway Championship Wrestling in you know 1999, we wanted to take us from cable access to local TV, and then from local TV to a cable show. We wanted to grow ourselves into like an ECW, and like that. That's why I've always wanted to be a part of AEW since it began because it's people creating their own thing. They're doing something really original. And like when I got that call, it, it was is amazing because I just there's no direct path to joining AEW. I'm not going to just call up guys and say, Hey, can I, can I have a job? What I did was make sure that I'd be ready. I've been doing the work at home training. I train at the, at my dojo, the side dojo, and I live every single day. Like I'm a top level, you know, TV ready wrestler, whether I'm on TV or not. And so when I got that call, um, I guess I might not have been pay-per-view ready, uh, cause we had, it was a little rough, <laughs> uh, initiation into AEW, but, um, you know, the one thing about me is I'm quite a tenacious wrestler. I am very resilient. And so I don't just let one slip keep me down. I, I love that AEW is the kind of company that takes a moment like that and runs with it. Like your feud with Nakazawa on Dark was probably one of my favorite matches I've ever done on Dark. <laughs> <laughs> well, I'm glad you had fun. I, I think I got a little too hot about it. You know, I, you know, it's in the end, there were many factors that lead to a fall, but you know, having guys like Nakazawa in the locker room always allow for um, making lemonade out of some lemons. So what's it like being in the AEW locker room compared to other places? Oh, my God, I love it. Well, the truth is I don't compare places because everywhere is just the same, especially when you have the right guys backstage. And, and then AEW locker room is awesome. There's so many, like, not just matchups that I get, but I also get the benefit of being around these really high-level human beings, these really incredible people people with like amazing skills outside of wrestling, people who are deep thinkers, people who are quick thinkers, some of the funniest guys ever. So I probably have um, a lot, very much am enjoying my stint in this AEW locker room. I'm really happy. I, I'm, I'm getting really comfortable where I feel like I can be myself. And um, that's a really special feeling to have when you feel like accepted as who you are for who you are. And like, there's um, just a lot of open-minded people in the locker room so we all get we all get along it's been fun i think there's a lot more great work we're going to create together now you were working actually working in the uh with the indies when the pandemic hit and it kind of shut everything down that kind of shut everything down it did shut everything down yeah what were those early months of the pandemic like for you yeah it was it was like getting the rug pulled out from underneath me i had been it's because i also have a wrestling school so this not just affected by travel schedule on the weekends my weekday schedule as well and my weekday revenue and my weekend revenue. Um, so yeah, I, I was about to get on a plane to go to a ring of honor show in Vegas and they called me and said, stay home. And I, that was the last booking uh, that I had. And thank God ROH paid me for not appearing because that was the last payday I got up until July or August is when I had like my next match. I did like one seminar in between, but yeah, so it was really challenging times. My, you know, my, my girlfriend and I, we make all of my own costumes here. Like we make knee pads and, oh, fun. and gear, oh. but like, the, this is like, uh, this is something we're making for one of my students, Kelsey. It's got rainbow reflective, but so, you know, we, we did this and uh, yeah, it was just one of these things where I try not to get too obsessed with the news. I do enjoy my current events. I really enjoy current events. And so I was just really trying to figure out how, figure out how we can stay safe, keep my family safe and, and, and survive. But it's, it was 
there was, I'm very fortunate that there was like the COVID disaster relief came through. We had some local relief, um, but yes, it was a, it was a really like challenging time. And I've sort of set a timeline of, so in, I live in Clearwater, Florida, and we have hurricanes come through when the hurricane comes, they'll tell you there's a hurricane coming and a disaster coming and it's sunny out. So you say, how can it be so bad? It's sunny out. Well, so you see the storm come in. It lasts a couple of days. You know, maybe you have a week or more if there's um, greater effects, you know, more wind damage, you're going to suffer for more than a week. But it, it, it's like, that's the time scale for it. So even though you know it's not bad, and then there's a time after where you have to clean up. And so COVID is like that, but I sort of put a three-year time scale on it. And that's the type of thinking that a lot of people do. A lot of people think month to month, week to week, day to day. And I know when I'm traveling like crazy, I can barely think to the next day. I mean, I'm barely getting 72 hours of planning ahead because everything's on the fly and running and gunning. But with the COVID, with my COVID plan, I, I said it's going to be a three-year effect and we're going to have to figure out how to deal with this for the next three years. And then kind of by year three, we'll be at where we need to be. So year one's done. This year two, uh, optimistically, seems like it's going going to be going in the right direction, but we're starting from slipping off the top, like 20, at the end of 2020, we fell off the top row, 2021, we are building our way back, but it, you can't just get to here. You have to do every step along the way. God, life mimics art. You know, that's what I'm doing <laughs> in AEW, every step along the way. That's why you see me grinding it out on dark, you know, fighting through adversity, fighting through challenges, physical, like wrestling guys, twice my size. I, I mean, I took on Brian Cage or Eddie Kingston at a moment's notice. I didn't know I was wrestling Eddie Kingston till the night before, but did I hesitate to take that match? Absolutely not. Did I think I could win it? Of course I did, because I always have that moment. And I'm always trying to make that moment where we can have fans jump out of their seats. And usually when I take my chances and we get fans on the edge of their seats, they pay off, but I'm not going to stop taking risks. Just be in wrestling. I'm not going to stop taking risks because they didn't pay off. However, in outside of the ring, I am not taking any risks when it comes to coronavirus. Good. Good job. Stay safe, man. Very well said. Very well said, buddy. Thank you. Yeah. So you you have a school. It's it's a little tricky now with COVID and whatnot. But do you find yourself coaching at all when you're at AEW, like helping out the younger guys that are coming up or any of that? Uh, well, I I do. I love coaching and I love helping my students. Um, but I find myself asking for coaching when I'm at AEW. And that's the point of being at a place like AEW. It's where I can go to annoy guys like Dean Malenko and pester them for some little nugget of knowledge that they kind of want to tell you, but kind of don't. And um, it's, it's really the best part. I mean, like Tully Blanchard stage, we, we just have so many guys that I'm able to look to guys looked up to, you know, when I first was an indie wrestler in St. Louis, Colt Cabana was like this big Chicago indie guy that we always looked up to and having him in the locker room with us all the time is great. And I learned like, like I watch guys, like Ray Phoenix wrestle. And it oh. always, always inspires me to be better. I mean, so I, there, there are people I coach, but I, I mean, I'm, I'm just kind of swimming in a sea of, of exchange of ideas. So I'll always throw out my idea, but it's just sort of something for them to like play with, maybe mold, mold around and use, use later. But I always have um, great conversations with some of the young talent. There's a lot of really good wrestlers with under five years experience. And I would say that they're more like, I'm impressed with how many good wrestlers that have less than five years I see at AEW all the time. Um, I think that's 
kind of from the nightmare factory. But I will say that some of my side dojo students have held their own as well in AEW dark matches. But I really like, I'll, I'll talk wrestling with anyone, anytime, anywhere, and I'll never shut up. If you guys, if we keep going, <laughs> this podcast will be eternal. I mean, it'll be till <laughs> Shivani falls asleep in front of the mic. <laughs> and I'll just be sitting here. That's just fascinating. <laughs> I mean, I just, I get wound up. I'm extremely passionate and I love sharing what I love with other people. That's sort of the bait, the crux of my life. So. We are talking with Matt Seidel on AEW Unrestricted. We're going to go back and talk about his beginnings in pro wrestling. AEW Unrestricted, talking with Matt Seidel. Matt, you mentioned uh, when you talked about Cody, you mentioned he was a classic wrestler and you were a backyard wrestler. Uh, talk about your days. Uh, you built your own ring in the backyard, started on a trampoline. How did your parents agree to do dog to all of that? Uh, well, my mom had one very strict rule, which was don't get hurt. And I, okay. and, I and I literally <laughs> went from like, I don't know, starting doing backyard at 14 or something like that, uh, all the way till I broke my arm once at IWA Mid-South doing like a shooting star press leg drop. But in the backyard, it's completely safe. And I mean, I really went eight or nine years before I had my first serious, like my first ankle injury. So that, you know, I kind of followed the rules that mom set. But uh, we did get kicked out of the backyard for having a bit of a bloodbath <laughs> one time, um, you know, the big main event. And that was sort of and I was with one of my brother's friends who was older. So it wasn't it was time to move on. And they had encouraged me to find a local indie where I could train. And I, like I found out about ind independent wrestling through a wrestling radio show that we had in St. Louis called the stranglehold with Brian Stull. And it was like a call in radio show where they discussed wrestling on the, the local like sports radio channel. So that's sort of like, I don't know, it put wrestling in a, like a more, I didn't realize how carny it was. It seemed like a professional thing um, <laughs> as I no, dug into this independent but... wrestling. And, but I found a local training center that, over, you know, that charged me so much money. I mean, I think about what I charge these guys now. It's like nothing. <laughs> I just, I can't, I can't charge. I just, if I could give it away for free, I would. We just make enough to pay the rent and have some fun. But um, yeah, yeah. So I started at, at a local indie fed, but I kind of had a cocky, arrogant backyard attitude because I wrestled for other backyard federations. I don't know if you guys read the Bucks book yet. Yes. Not yet. Not yet. Yes, I did. I would say I'm just very similar to Matt. And that we just walked in from the backyard to these other independent feds and just thought we were great, thought we right. knew everything, thought we could go. And, um, you know, we were lucky enough, like him, to come under some other independent wrestlers that really helped us out, that, like, gave us the one-on-one -on -one teaching and guidance that we needed to, like, not get off track and kind of to, to move forward out of our local bubble into bigger opportunities. So did you, uh, I think you had mentioned in there, were you a tape trader as well? Were you one of those guys? Yes, but not like in a, I'm not a collector. I don't, gotcha. do you see any action figures? Do you see the belt? Like I'm not about just like, I, I don't necessarily need the memento to have the experience. I just kind of live it and then keep going. Um, sometimes I even forget the question that was asked. Um, <laughs> oh, do, do, what was it like? Do I have, were, you were a tape trader. Was there anything that like you particularly were like looking for? Well, yes. Great question. What, what did Matt Seidel order when he was a young up and coming wrestler? There Japanese death matches. Yeah. Uh, that's what, that's what got me started on tape trading is I, I was, <laughs> I mean, when I found out about these crazy death matches, like Onita, I, we, we got 
a friend of mine, the, the neighbor up the street, got a couple ECW tapes, and that's what got us going with ECW. And that then eventually I found like the best of the Super Juniors '94, and then that's when like uh, my eyes really opened. And then it was a special tape trader named Delirious who was the one that first got us Tor Yumon tapes. And that's when my brain began to explode with the possibilities that wrestling could be. And, um, that, that like my time with delirious was the most monu- like most, he was the most influential on me in my entire career. Damn. Most influential person. Delirious it was. Yes. Okay. A tape trader. Yeah. Yes. He, a tape trader who went on to become a pro wrestler, a very okay. skilled, gotcha. uh, okay. great grappler. Uh, he's the head trainer at the Ring of Honor school for quite some time. Mm-hmm. Got you. Okay. You also said, speaking of honor, you said that the New Japan Pro Wrestling Tag Team Championship with Ricochet was an honor for you. Why does that one mean so much? Oh, well, I mean, the the moments we created in the, in the match and the lead up to it, just it, it really felt like I was out there doing my true purpose. We were wrestling like that New Japan Junior Tag Championship run was a sort of a four-way feud between myself and Ricochet, the Young Bucks, Rocky Romero and Trent Beretta, and Kyle O'Reilly and Bobby Fish. And oh, so damn. these were matches that I was proud of every single night. We were just smashing it. We were just busting each other up, having wild shootout matches that we really believed in, we were really proud of. We were all working really hard and... um wrestling in Japan has always been special to me. It's kind of where my career went from. I was going to be a wrestler on the side, a weekend warrior to a full-time pro wrestler when I started at dragon gate. And that's kind of where I got like my highest set of skills and to go back with new Japan. Like when there was a moment where after WWE, I was considering being kind of done with wrestling or I was questioning what I wanted to do. But I had this, I don't want to call it a vision, but I had a moment where I saw myself going to the Tokyo Dome Hotel. And the Tokyo Dome Hotel is right next to Cork and Hall, one of my favorite places to wrestle. And I just kind of held that image in my head for a really long time. And so going back with New Japan and getting to wrestle at Cork and Hall, it, it like, it means more to me than just like, it's not like a goal you set. It's like a place that has an energy of feeling that you want to be a part of. And like, I, I got to return there. And um, when we had these matches, like, I mean, look them up, my friends. Me and Ricochet are a great tag team. Uh, we 100%. were really in the flow. And um, the matches we had with the Bucks and those guys were fantastic. Great memories and just really um, great times. Tra- you know, the the great kind of travel, good food, good people, good times. One time for Halloween, I went to Don Quixote and bought like 30 different Halloween costumes and gave it to everybody on the bus. I mean, we were generally like, making the most of our time on the road, having as much fun as we can, but really focused on being the best pro wrestlers we could be. And I think that's what really launched me into like my next higher level of wrestling. Damn. So speaking of higher level of wrestling, you've done WrestleMania, you've done Wrestle Kingdom, you've done Bound for Glory, you've done All Out. You're you're just knocking them all off the list. Is there anything that's on your wrestling bucket list that you haven't done yet? Well, I have to add Dragon Gate Kobe World because that was the first big show I did the first time I ever wrestled in front of like 10,000 people. So I always give, I always just want to throw that one out there. But yeah, I mean, 
like I, I look at all the letters that my name has been next to like ROH final battles, all these, all these times. And I'm just like, every time I'm, I'm in disbelief because I still feel like that kid who was so small, he got beat up at wrestling practice every, every Tuesday and Thursday for years. And I just, um, still enjoy it and have that same passion it, it it has wavered there have been crests and troughs there have there has always been the, the mountain always has like the other side to it and i've experienced both sides and i just i keep climbing i keep seeking i keep really finding myself in that ring that's like the place where i'm the happiest if i could just sleep on the mats outside i would be quite content you know I, i'm not a man who needs much i just need to recover between my matches and train and um you know, I've got a, a nice family and support system here, so we're going to keep on trucking. Uh, WWE called you for a tryout. You got a contract with OVW. Three months later, you were their heavyweight champion and then moved to Florida three months after that. What do you attribute to that rapid success in the WWE developmental at that time? Uh, that was because the champ at the time or the, the next contender got hurt and I was a great slide and opportunity. Well, I, yeah. I, <laughs> nothing like no moments in wrestling are ever really like that with that much foresight and planning and just the moments yeah. just, they present themselves and, and good bookers just capitalize on that moment as it unfolds. And uh, so, yeah, my time at OBW, I was just like everybody there wrestled like an OBW wrestler. Everybody trained the same way. Everybody did like, baby oil on in their underwear and did like kind of okay <laughs> arm drags it it was a place where i stood out no who nobody was wearing kick pads with shells over the knee nobody was wearing like the 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 nobody had the costume nobody had like the moves i even used like some dragon gate entrance music that like rio saito's old music like um i was just i was just a dragon gate wrestler when i got there and so i think that really differentiated me and then i wrestled the guys there like Sean Spears and Mike Cruel that were just extraordinary pros. And that's when I started to be able to like adapt and modify. And actually like, that's why I really love my match with Spears that we had on that late night dynamite, because it was just the continuation of a battle he and I have been having for, you know, over 10 years. When I got to OVW, he was such an example of of who to pay attention to because you could tell that there was that he had star power. And in fact, I couldn't believe when he got fired, they just, it was madness because he and I tore it up and it was so easy. And my matches with Mike cruel. And these matches were a, a perfect yang to the yin that I had in dragon gate. And I, and I got acclimated. Then we came down to Florida. Um, yeah. I mean, I can go on about all these stories because basically, you know, I was not a favorite. I was not a, a chosen one. I was not a favorite of the coaches of anyone ever, mm. but I tricked WWE into booking me at a, at a show because I told them I was coming to it. They told me, no, uh, don't come to it. And I said, well, I'm going to go home. I'm going to see my family it just so happens to be on the days of these shows in Kansas city and St. Louis. So yeah, maybe I could just go backstage. I've never been backstage. This is all prompted from a random indie wrestler who called me and said, Hey, Matt, can you get me a dark match? <laughs> and I, I thought to myself, I've never had a dark match. I've never been backstage. I've been under contract for, it was like eight months at that time. And so I took it upon myself to get backstage. And I did like, I wrestled Jamie Noble, just around, wrestled around before the show. And then the next night they made me the dark match against Jamie Noble. And then they took that momentum. And on that Tuesday night, I debuted on ECW as Matt Seidel and Shelton Benjamin powerbombed me 
like onto Kofi through like the announce chair. It was oh. wild. But when, when I get the momentum going, people feel it, people jump on. And I, I just had to find a way to spark that momentum because I knew it wasn't going to come through the system. I always have to work from the outside in. Yeah. And so that was my way of bit, virtually calling myself up to the big show and saying, here I am, let's see what happens. And, you know, I had a, a great successful run there and it's only led to more things because WWE kind of showed me how powerful wrestling is as a vehicle. And I've been able to kind of harness that. Now I have all these opportunities at AEW. I get the chance to talk with you two wonderful human beings. And I just really feel like, you know, having a life as a, every day that I get to live life as a professional wrestler is a great day. And I mean, I'm just forever thankful for all these opportunities that keep coming my way. E even though when you look at the outside, I'm not your stereotypical wrestler. And I think what I'm most proud of is when people look at me now and I tell them I'm a wrestler, no, people don't say you're too small because this is what a wrestler looks like now. We look like Cody Rhodes. We look like Nick Jackson, Matt Jackson. You know, we, we have, we're not all the same cookie cutter anymore. And I'm really right. proud to have been a part of that shift that change part of the energy that's been moving things in a new direction i think it's really interesting given that like your first night on ecw you get powerbombed into kofi kingston and then you guys had the great run that you did it was almost like a foreshadowing i don't know i think i've told you before uh you were one of the like when i first started watching wrestling i think you had uh you were holding the titles with kofi at the time and i was immediately like this guy's fucking great like, I don't know what it is because I don't know anything about wrestling, but I'm like, man, anytime he's on TV, this is fantastic. Like, he does all these cool flips and shit. This is amazing. So, uh, I don't know, just a little, little, yeah. let me inflate that, your ego a little bit. <laughs> no, that means a lot. I mean, that's my, my goal when I wrestle is I, there's a particular set of humans that I wrestle for. I wrestle for the wrestling fan who loves wrestling and finally convince their friends who don't care to sit down and watch. And so now if I can combine something that people from both of these ends of the spectrum can really enjoy and can just sit down and have fun and just take their mind, turn it off and just enjoy. Then, then that's, that's what I'm going for every time. So the fact that like I, every night I'm going out for the new fans, the fans that are already there supporting me, like I'm going to make sure they get what they want too. But I'm, I'm thinking about people who've never considered pro wrestling, people who just, because it's, to me, it's not about like, pro wrestling isn't a, a particular thing. It's like, there's no one way to do it. There's no right way. There's no wrong way. There's just, you know, what can I give people who are in the crowd that will make them enjoy wrestling the same way I loved wrestling when I was young, the same way wrestling jumped through the TV and grabbed me when I saw like Tajiri versus super crazy. Oh. I want people to feel that. Like, and so for me, there's no, you can't break it down into like, oh, well, you like, it's it's definitely much more of an intangible a feeling that I'm trying to get across. So I'm glad you feeling me, Aubrey. I'm feeling you. I'm feeling, yeah. feeling the love. Well, let me say this. I'm feeling you too. And the Thank reason you, I Tony. say that is love you, you are a guy who obviously you made your own breaks, right? I mean, and that says a lot about you as a person. You said I'm gonna I'm gonna show up anyway. And you ended up being in a dark match and it jump started your career. That says about a lot about you as a person. Perseverance. I mean so many words we can use about that, but I've always been a person that thinks that you make your own breaks by just being around and you're the living proof of that, buddy. Yeah. That's, that's the gospel, man, because wise men told me you, you got to be there. You know, you have right. to be at, you have to be around. Otherwise, who like, you know, you, you're easily forgotten or just, you know, you, 
you have to take the chance and put yourself out there. Otherwise, it because because nothing will come to you and nobody owes you anything. I mean, it's wrestling. I would, if I'm in charge, I'm going to book my friends instead of you. If I don't know you, like, what, what right. does it matter? Because yep, it's sure. really the, the end of wrestling is really it's about having fun. It's about putting out a product that you enjoy, and you know, hopefully everybody else enjoys. So, you know, you just the cool thing about wrestling is that the wrestlers have only gotten better through the years. Like it used to be a little bit harder to find guys who spoke the same language as me, you know, the same wrestling language. But now every locker room I go into, it's these people who've got the same intentions. We just want to have the craziest match we can for the fans and still walk the next day. You know, that's that's what we're going for. But, (laughs) but if we go like when you go that time, like during COVID, when you have these month or two or three where, where you're not getting hit, you miss it where you're not getting kicked around, where you're not getting like, it's something that at our core we need. So like, that's why when I'm getting beat up in a match, things aren't going bad. That's going according to plan because you expect to take damage. You expect these things. And in fact, if you wrestle long enough, you come to enjoy all the aspects of it, both the victory and the defeat that the pain and the agony, because like the same thing, like anxiety before a match is always there until I realize, Oh, this is the feeling of excitement. You know, this is my, this is what being excited feels like. Sometimes you do fall into that anxious feel. But when I remember like, hey, this is excitement and let's go out there and be exciting. That's what I really step into myself. And I'm, I've got that confidence and that lack of hesitation in the ring. Speaking of exciting, we have coming up for Matt Seidel, questions from the fans. Hooray. AEW Unrestricted, Tony and Aubrey talking to the one and only Matt Seidel. We've got a number of fan questions. Format. Thanks to everyone who submitted these on Twitter. First up, Hope Glory 3 asks, as well as amazing singles action, you had a successful part of a tag team action, notably IWGP Junior Heavyweight Tag Team Champion with Ricochet. Would you ever create consider creating a tag team in AEW? And if so, who would be your partner? Yes. Well, that, thank you, Hope 00100101 for the question. Um, <laughs> <laughs> uh, so yes, here's a secret about Matt Seidel. I don't think it's a secret, but tag wrestling and six-man tags are my favorite type of matches. I love them because there's so many extra variables. It's exponentially more complicated and chaotic and fun because it gives me a lot more opportunities to inject my madness into into a match so i yes tag wrestling is amazingly and wonderfully beautifully featured in aew there are the greatest tag teams in the world in aew from the bucks to th2 to my gosh christopher daniels and frankie kazarian ftr it goes on and on jurassic express trent and dustin la or santana and ortiz okay enough okay yes yeah Tag wrestling, I'm all about it. The the tag partners that I love, yeah, Ricochet is number one, but I also have my brother, Mike Seidel, who is a great grappler, trained at Dragon Gate, and he's a guy that I would love to tag with someday at AEW. But yeah, like you know, six-man tags, that'll be something that in time, uh, like uh, I will just flow right into that role, and we will really have some exciting matches on Dynamite with those Ooh. tag matches, six-man tags. But till then, give me singles because, like I said, you know, TNT Championship is pulling me towards it. Yeah. All right. At Jen Kenshin on Twitter says, how important is it to innovate more in the ring and adapt new styles and moves when it comes to your longevity? Uh, yes. Well, I put enough pressure on myself to be the crest of the wave of 
innovation in this business. Although sometimes I find myself falling into old patterns, I try and unlearn those patterns and re-examine things from a fresh perspective. And yeah, training in the ring is actually really fun because every week I'm coming up with new techniques, new holds. I mean, I have pins that are completely brand new that people have never seen. And then I'll also unearth some old stuff of mine that hasn't seen the light of day in quite some time because it just all depends on who I'm wrestling. So yeah, I'm always thinking of the next way to tie somebody like a pretzel. Wonderful. Uh, TJ Sharp 94 on Twitter says, uh, what is the inspiration for the third eye gimmick? And how do you think it would be received uh, when first used in front of a massive live audience? Yes. Well, I'm pretty sure love it yeah <laughs> uh i mean come on dude um that's a great it's a great question because the third eye gimmick it's great that people call it the third eye gimmick because i never once said that it no. was a it's a movement from the people to me so i was putting out whatever vibe i put out and people were listening to the things i say think for yourself and question everything you know peace love pro wrestling and people started to think about that and associate that with the third eye the third eye, meaning the eye that looks inward. And, you know, we are like a car with headlights always pointed outward. But our he headlights don't mean we know how the engine works, how anything else works on the inside. So the idea with the third eye is basically that inside of you is where to look for the answers, not from external things. Because if you look for answers externally, you'll always be looking for them. But inside you, you also have like a vastness and a deepness and if you're able to strip away all the outside stuff, you can connect deeper with yourself. And then when you go through the world, you're more yourself vibing outward rather than being somebody who's just always receiving the messages. So it's sort of like a way to be the opposite of everything. I mean, sort of my, whatever people expect, I want to deliver the opposite. If people want me to do high flying wrestling, I'm going to go do a hardcore match. If they want me, I just want to keep, give you the opposite answer because when i do um interviews like this sometimes i'll do a podcast with let's say a less skilled host and a pair of hosts and i'll get questions where i just want to give the opposite answer because hearing the same answer over and over eventually gives you nausea and so i like to keep people on their toes with stuff like that and just the more i can think outside the box which is also sort of that third eye thinking you know but but really, again, the third eye gimmick isn't mine. It's the fans that I'm able to like say, this is how they feel me. This is how they hear me. This is how they see me. But it's like, it's not the thing that's verbal. It's a feeling. It's like uh, an intense, it's an ineffable feeling. Okay. Sorry, rambling <laughs> answer. Yeah. <laughs> no, I think I got a few okay. uh, answers in there. Yeah. Pavlovsky on Twitter. Any future work coming with Chaos Project? Oh, yes. Future violence against chaos project <laughs> is incoming do you know like the, the thing about chaos project is they're both lovable and hateable oh, because so i re i feel like again we're we're preaching the same things but from a different perspective hmm. because there's there's just different planes of consciousness that people experience their ordinary life like obviously dr luther's ordinary consciousness is different than yours or mine or whatever but i can okay. also get to that plane of thinking that plane of existence where everything is crazy and you do need to be mad about it you know so i i can both relate to them but i i think you know the the match i had with serpentico is 
possibly my favorite match that I've had on AEW Dark. And so I look forward to finding a tag partner like my brother, Mike Seidel. We could come in and wrestle the both of them and um, sort of show them the Seidelic mentality is superior to the chaos. Man. Yeah, that wasn't I'm writing. Really I'm match. writing down psychedelic mentality. Yes, because that we that's cool. Psychedelic here. He'll use yeah. that in between all of his. You're right, Jr. And you're right, Excalibur. Mm. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> hey, Excalibur is usually right. So, you know, he these is. guys are yeah. depressed. Not as much he thinks Pro. he is, though. So, <laughs> so uh, Aubrey, it's your turn. All Go right. Get him. E Kid Marquez on Twitter says, "How much planning went into the Shooting Star Press into the RKO that you did with Randy Orton, and will you ever try and top it?" I'll never tell. It just happened <laughs> on the fly. Shut up. Don't ask questions just, like that. No. Just call it in the ring, brother. Hey, when 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 two guys have their finishing moves, it doesn't take much to say, I'll do this and you do that. I mean, it's you don't need much more guidance. And if he doesn't give me the cutter, I'm gonna just try and crash land on him. Um, but yeah, it's it's <laughs> yeah, that's just one of those moments I'm so happy that people like it's just I'm always trying to make that moment where people jump out of their seat. And, um, but those moments, I never can take credit for them because that's like the camera crew that filmed it, the people that went on before us, all these things prime that engine for that moment. But I'm telling you, the way that was shot was magnificent. It was done so well that the, the cool stunt was amplified by the person doing it because Randy Orton was in that match and, and also by the really awesome camera work of that crew. They really captured that moment. And so I just, you know, I just jumped, you know, my, my role is insignificant. I just jumped. All right. This is a, this is a great question because we asked this to Scorpio sky as well. Greco on Twitter wants to know any stories from your time on MTV's wrestling society X. Yes. Well, I wrestled Scorpio sky on wrestling society right. X. We had a banger, right. you know, I mean, it's, I'm not saying he's been good for a while, but he's been good for a while. Uh, you know what I mean? I don't know. Like I never slept on people like people slept on Scorp. It's like, not me. Like, uh, yeah. Wrestling society X was awesome. Uh, what was awesome was I got to bring some of the dragon gate guys in. So I was able to pay my, like my Japanese friends back for all of that they gave me. I was able to get them hooked up with this fun project. And it was, it was cool because it was in the, the same mentality we had do it yourself, create your own thing. Don't rely on anybody else to give you the the job create your own you know it was great it's my first entrance to show business got a really carny contract got told all these you know i don't want to call them lies but you're gonna be a star we're gonna make dvds if you see this this is gonna be you someday yeah. but that i never bought into and i just enjoyed like telling my friends like you wouldn't believe they told me i'm gonna be the next jeff hardy or matt hardy i'm like there's no way that's gonna be me i'm not that good like you know i but <laughs> Um, I was, uh, it was on the right path and it was just, um, a cool project. It was one of my first times out in LA ever in my entire life. So it was, it was outside of the couple PWG matches that I had had. It was just an epic platform to get going on. And then we saw it become eventually sort of in some way, shape or form Lucha underground, which then gave way to like getting Ray Phoenix and Pentagon to AEW. So it's like, Oh man. And those it, guys, man. That's sort of all part of that same channel. But I really strongly, just a quick, sorry, fan question that said nothing to do with your question. But I just want to put over Lucha Libre and let everybody know they're on, they're on alert. Like if we don't keep up with how good the Luchadors are, we'll fall behind. There's some amazing guys, and they will be coming in AEW soon. I wouldn't be surprised to see the the Lucha influence grow. It was there in WSX. It's there in Lucha Underground. 
and it, they are really special pro wrestlers. Lucha Libre is alive and well, and you can't take your eyes off it. You can't take your eyes off Ray Phoenix. So I just really see like a, a great sea change happening where the internationalization of all wrestling continues to occur. And there's even more international stars on AEW and all over the world of wrestling. Damn. All right. We're going to end this with the hardest hitting question you've ever gotten. You ready? Ken Mathis on Twitter asks, what is your preferred toilet paper orientation over or under? How dare he? How <laughs> dare he? Oh, and the fact that he said it publicly on Twitter, I imagine you should get banned from Twitter for that. Shivani, in all your years, has anyone had such a nonsensical question? That's the worst question I've ever heard. And I've heard some bad ones. Uh, yeah, I, you know, one. the only question worse is how did it feel when you took that RKO? And you already asked that one. <laughs> I will fire up on everybody. No, I will. I do not talk about my personal life. I, the, <laughs> right. That's it. That is How it. I wipe my ass is my business. Mm-hmm. <laughs> it's very private. One foot at a time. <laughs> I mean, we get pretty unrestricted here, but I think that's yeah. that's crossing the line a little bit. Yeah. <laughs> hey, Matt, thanks, buddy. It's been a treat talking to you. Thank you, guys. Really hey, has. when you run out of guests again, and I'm always here for you, okay? Oh, I appreciate thank that. Thank you so much, man. Love this you is, guys. Thanks this has been chat. fantastic. You can follow Matt on yeah. Instagram at Matt Seidel and on Twitter at FindEvan. Also, subscribe to AEW Unrestricted Podcast for free wherever you get your podcasts. You can also check out the video version of our podcast on YouTube. Just go to the little search bar, type in AEW Unrestricted, and then watch all the cool shit. ShopAEW.com. Hell yeah. Look at that. <laughs> um. <laughs> Thank you, guys. Don't forget to tune in to Dynamite each and every Wednesday at 8 7 Central on TNT. I'm Tony Schiavone. I'm Aubrey Edwards. Thank you for listening to AEW Unrestricted. 